This is the fifth episode of Heating Up, part of the Las Vegas Sun podcast. I'm Arlie Rogers, a general assignment reporter with the Las Vegas Sun. Last episode, I spoke with UNLV student Elia Del Carmen Solano Patricio, who told me about her policy research with Brookings Mountain West, as well as how her experience evacuating the wildfires in Southern California in 2020 affected her post-traumatic stress disorder. Our next segment will build on last episode's interview in a conversation with Erica Washington, Executive Director of Make It Work Nevada, an organization that focuses on assisting women of color in economic issues like pay equity. Make It Work also focuses on environmental justice, something new to its repertoire, Erica said, because climate change is an issue currently impacting people of color and low-income people in the state. Erica and I spoke about why Make It Work added a climate element to its scope, as well as how certain environmental and mental health factors impact the people the organization works closely with. We always looked at environmental justice as a uh, white issue or an issue that was um, mostly led by uh, white organizations. However, people who were most directly affected were people of color. So when we talk about um, pollution or uh, you know food deserts, anything like that, the folks who are most affected are usually, and not just people of color, it's just really anyone under a certain income level. And so you end up in certain places, certain ge- uh, ge- geographical places that keep you um, from having all of the things, the basic necessities and resources that you need. And we believe all of those things um, are included in environmental justice. It's not just about um, the changing temperature of the earth. It's not just about um, the water levels. All those things are really important, um, but there aren't enough grocery stores. There aren't enough green spaces for, for, for young children to play or for people to be able to get outside and walk. And all of these stem back from Uh, environmental issues. Erica is one of many women leading grassroots organizations in Las Vegas that include climate justice in their work. My previous reporting for The Sun explored how these leaders of color particularly focus on how climate change will impact low-income Las Vegans and residents of color more than others, including these groups in conversations that often excluded them before. I did this reporting in light of a study from the physicians, scientists, and engineers for health energy that analyzed how, quote, methods ingrained in renewable energy have immense strength in lessening the burden of energy costs and in bettering the health of Nevada residents, in particular those in low-income and Black, Indigenous, people of color communities. That impact was worsened by the pandemic, too, the study said. Several organizations, including Make It Work, created Breathe Free NV, a website that promotes the study and other resources related to climate change. All of those groups have people of color in positions of leadership, and several of them, including Erica, are specifically women of color who are tackling the issue in their own communities. From her personal experience leading Make It Work, Erica said the low-income residents she speaks with are often discouraged by their lack of stability, the result of needing to work several jobs, for example, to pay for themselves and often their family members. When you're pushed down so many times, you know, you start to want, you start to stay down. Um, and and I think that people may not look at that as like a, a, a mental, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call it a mental illness, but that that doesn't affect um, how you think and how you, how you move and you become a, it becomes more of a survival than any sort of thriving. And so when people are merely always trying to survive and taking what they can get, it affects you mentally. It, it affects um, how you parent your children. When they talk about folks, um, 
you know, children feeling neglected or children being neglected and, and parents having to work multiple jobs and they're not connected to whatever's happening in the schools. They're not showing up for parent-teacher conferences, things like that, not because they necessarily don't care about their children's uh, education, but because they, they have to work multiple jobs in order to pay really high electricity bills here, um, high gas bills and other in other places. And those things are to wear on you when you never have enough to cover and you're always in survival mode. And someone who lives in survival mode um, is naturally not going to uh, be healthy mentally. Poverty in adulthood is connected to depressive and anxiety disorders, while childhood poverty is linked with, quote, lower school achievement, worse cognitive, behavioral, and attention-related outcomes, higher rates of delinquency, depressive and anxiety disorders, and higher rates of almost every psychiatric disorder in adulthood, according to a 2018 study from Psychiatric Times. Those mental disorders, as we explored in our third episode, will then be exacerbated by climate change's impacts, like extreme heat, something that contributes to the urban heat island effect in which cities like Las Vegas, marked in a 2020 UNLV study as the hottest heat island in the United States, experience higher temperatures than their surrounding rural areas. We also know that children don't necessarily have, and many adults don't have, um, the capacity to unpack their feelings and, uh, you know, really dig down deep and, and, you know, figure out what's going on and where the root of the problem is. And so, you know, things are triggered very easily. And if you're coming from a home where you have parents who are consistently surviving and just trying to make ends meet and they're always on edge, children are going to automatically be on edge. And if they don't have the things that they need in school, they don't have clean clothes or new clothes, nice clothes, you know, the, they don't have the money for the field trips and and different things just the little things right that how do how do they internalize that if you're in poverty and, and and your parents have have lived in this in this impoverished way in this environment for so long it's going to affect the children Make It Work points these families to what might be a familiar list of resources food banks like 3 square or shelters like the shade tree but often the families or individuals are resistant to help she said if you recall what Lewis Lacey and Albert Nelson said in our first episode about homeless clients who refuse assistance during an extreme heat situation, this may sound familiar. Erica said that often the families she works with refuse help because if they want to make a change in their lives, they'll do it on their own. It's not usually welcomed, um, not because I think that they don't think that they need it. I think a part of it is they don't think they have time for it. And also, again, I, it goes back to not really knowing what the problem is. And it's just like, that's just the way life is. My mother struggled, my grandmother struggled, I'm doing better than they were, so I just need to suck it up. And I think it's almost a shame that that there are so many um, people who are, would be considered or classified as poor, who um, deserve more, who think that they don't deserve more because they can't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, that they have, um, they have, been fed the lines and and they have believed it and uh, it's just like you know I just have to work harder or, you know say whole you know grind and never sleep mentality or what have you and that's not a life 
at all. It's also an approach akin to what Carmen said about her own family members, many of whom live in poverty in California. The generations before me survive so that I can thrive, she said. Constantly having a survival mentality and not one that prioritizes long-term happiness or healthiness has prohibited many of Erica's clients from actively thinking about what kind of world they want to live in, she said, including what resources they want to have consistent access to, like parks or healthy grocery stores. Similarly, remember what Carmen said about her family in California. Living there means accepting the wildfires and their dangers, as moving elsewhere is not economically feasible when you're living paycheck to paycheck. How do you know? If that's never even been an option and no one's ever asked you the question. And a lot of times people will say, no one's ever asked me that. I've never thought about that because no one's ever asked me. Like, what is the world you want to live in look like? I don't know. I just want to be able to get to work on time. And, you know, I need the buses to come on time, things like that. You know, really simple things. Um, When I'm asking like the big, like esoteric question of like, really, what do you want the world to look like for you in order to live your best life? And a lot of folks can't answer it because they haven't even had the space to think about like what is possible. A productive step forward to address these issues, Erica said, is thinking more proactively about how to develop urban areas where climate change's mark will be seen more intensely. Like we spoke about before, the urban heat island effect will disproportionately impact communities of color and homeless populations. You know, we really need to take a look at what is available in certain areas. We can, we obviously know how to build communities. We have beautifully master planned communities in Las Vegas and they have everything that anybody could ever need to get through their day-to-day life. Um, but you don't see that in, in, in urban areas. You know, you won't see a grocery store for miles. You know, that's not something that someone can easily walk to. You, you don't see a park. Um, sometimes you don't even see sidewalks. Um, you know, and schools don't have, you know, adequate air conditioning, things like that. So I think we need to think about what does a master plan community look like for impoverished areas? And how do we, how do we make it where people really understand that no matter where you live or what your income is or what have you, that you deserve all the same basic necessities that um, everyone else has. This podcast was hosted and edited by Arlie Rogers, and this episode was made possible thanks to managing editor Ray Brewer, political reporter Jessica Hill, and the rest of the Las Vegas Sun staff. Please stay tuned for more stories like this from Heating Up. Thanks for listening.